0: When I was 11 years old, I decided that I wanted to play Little League Baseball. Now, I had never played before. I, there were really two factors, that uh, two things that factored into this decision. One was that my older brother, Ossiel, who was two years older than me, played Little League Baseball. and He was very good. He was very good. He was an all-star. And uh, the other was peer pressure. My friends in school, that year when they passed out flyers about... Baseball tryouts are coming up. uh, We're all going to do it. And they told me, hey, let's do it, especially my best friend Robert. Come on, let's try out. Well, I've never played. No, it's okay. Let's try out. So I signed up or I went to the tryouts. And uh, like I said, I had never played before. I didn't even own a glove. My dad bought me a glove after the tryouts, after I was actually drafted, which was a surprise to me. Uh, of course, now, nowadays I understand that everybody was going to get drafted. Back then I was scared I wasn't going to. But I had to borrow a glove for the tryout. I don't remember how I did. I don't think I did very well. I must have hit the ball. We had to bat, we had to field, we had to throw. I must have hit the ball. I don't know. But I, I got drafted. I know I didn't make a, a great impression because I had no skills, I had no technique. I had no understanding of the nuances of the game. I mean, I knew basically what baseball was, but it's, it's a complex game, and there, there are a lot of nuances, and I didn't know any of that. But what I did have was a great coach. I ended up having a great coach who made me into a pretty decent player. I was surprised that he drafted me. Once I got to know who he was, He actually, this man actually played professional baseball in the minor leagues, he was a great teacher, but he drafted me, and I was a member of the Bucks. Here's, this is my actual baseball cap when I was 11 years old. I was a member of the Bucks. We were sponsored by a, by a bank. So we were the Bucks, as in money, not a, a deer, actually money. Uh, we were the Bucks. My brother Ocel had played with a team, another team in that league that was also sponsored by a bank. There were the dividends. So whenever we played the dividends, it was the Bucks against the dividends. It was, it was a lot of money. Uh, but this is, my, this is my baseball cap. I looked it up. Hey, there it is. It has my name. When I, was, uh, when I was a kid, I went by Joe. That was my nickname. That's why my nieces and nephews called me Uncle Joe, because I was Joe when I was a kid. So I wrote my name, Joe Hernandez Bucks, 1971. How many of you were born in 1971? <laughs> Some of you were kids. Eh? Okay, so uh, this was my baseball cap, and um, I did pretty good that year. And everything I did was because my coach made me what I became. I had a, I had a decent season. I, in fact, I was actually selected to the all-star team at the end of the of the season. I, I didn't play. I, I was selected as an alternate, so I didn't get to play. But I got to be on the bench during the games, the all-star game. So that was, that was kind of nice. But, uh, you know, my coach, he was a great teacher. He, uh, he did a great job of teaching the game. He was very patient and... He had a plan of how he's going to get us to where we needed to be, and there were steps that he was taking. I see that now as an adult. Back then, I was just a kid playing. But I see it now as an adult how he was bringing us along, and, and, and he, he made me what I was. My, my second year to play, when I was 12, I had a breakout year, had a great year. And uh, I was um, not only, I, I ended up being a pretty good hitter. And uh, I was selected to the All Star team again, but this time I was the starting shortstop, and I was the leadoff batter for the All Star team. So here's, I wrote all this down: Joe Hernandez, American League All Star, 1971. Then I put down number one shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is my actual cap. I was in the American League, and uh, we we played a couple of games, I think, before we before we lost and you know got out of the the All Star tournament, but. Uh, you know, that those were some, some good years for me, and, and again, it, it all goes back as I think about this, and I and I had no doubt from the beginning, I had no doubt that it was all because of my coach. He made me what I became. And so today we're starting a new series titled Made to Persuade. And we're going to learn that part of our invitation to follow Jesus includes the idea that we're made to persuade. We're made to persuade others to come to Jesus. That's part of our calling. That's part of us becoming Christians, becoming followers of Jesus, is that He wants to make us persuaders of people. That's not a side thing. That's not an option. That's the main thing. When we're saved, Jesus begins to make us persuaders. And by the way, the idea for the title of this series is taken from a passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul says we persuade others. And some translations say we work hard to persuade others. And so uh, the next three weeks after today, the next three weeks of this series, we're actually going to be looking at that passage in 2 Corinthians 5 and learn how do we persuade others. But today we're going to talk about how Jesus makes us and he calls us to be persuaders of others. Now, Jesus didn't actually use... That word, Paul used the word, we persuade others. Jesus used the phrase, when he, when he called his disciples, he told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. It's another way of saying, Paul would have said, persuaders of people. Jesus said, fishers of men, because he was talking to fishermen. And, and they would have, would have understood that, although maybe initially they didn't. So today we're going to read in Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. So Matthew 4... 18, if you'll follow along, it reads like this. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then in verse 19 he says, Then he said to them, Follow me and I will, what? Make you, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right, so when Jesus invited his disciples To follow him, he makes his agenda clear from the very beginning. This was not a bait and switch. He told them right off the bat, Follow me and I will make you something that you're not, is what he's telling them. Because they were fishermen, but they weren't fishers of men. Right. So he he says, I'm going to make you something that you're not. Now we would expect Jesus, maybe today we would expect Jesus to say, Follow me and I will make you more spiritual. Follow me, and I will make you more disciplined. Follow me, and I will make you wiser. How about this one? Follow me, and I will make you richer. Yeah, that'll draw a lot of people. I'll make you more organized. I'll make you a better husband, better wife, whatever. But what he actually says is, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, this is clearly not what these men were expecting, and, and I have a I have my doubts that they really understood what he was saying. Uh, Because, I mean, what what is a fisher of men? So maybe they didn't quite understand it. But we do see a few chapters later, they're doing exactly what Jesus told them. He was going to make them do or make them become, rather. Because that phrase, I will make you fishers of men, actually means I will cause you to become fishers of men. And so as we read the Gospels, we find out they actually became fishers of men. Now, honestly, though, they were pretty terrible at it at the beginning. Just like I was pretty terrible when I started playing baseball that first year when I was 11. I was not good. I was not good. We, we uh, had a, an exhibition game. When they had the opening ceremonies for the season, we had a couple, maybe three different two-inning games, just exhibition games. We got to wear uniforms and... And uh, play in front of, you know, pack stands. And, uh, and I, I was a leadoff batter. I got on base. I don't know if I hit the ball or they walked me, but I got on base. And then I got thrown out, stealing second. Who gets thrown out, stealing second in Little League Baseball? Well, I did. And, and my coach was so patient. He didn't say anything to me that day. But when we practiced the following Monday, you know, he, he told me, look, uh, you don't go. You don't try to steal base when this happens. You, you, you go when this happens. But basically, listen to your coach. If he doesn't say go, you don't go. Okay. And we're going to practice sliding today because I just went standing up and they got me out. I didn't know how to slide. So I wasn't very good at the beginning. And uh, likewise, the disciples weren't very good at the beginning. They really didn't know what they were doing. In fact, one time, they had a lot of children around. Uh, Jesus had a lot of children around him. And he was going to bless these children. And he was going to use them as an example of faith. We need to have faith like these children. So Jesus has a plan to to bless them. The disciples come between them and tell the children, No, no, get away. Don't bother the master. Jesus had to rebuke them because of what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. Another time, they were arguing in front of Jesus about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In front of Jesus. No, I'm greater. No, I'm greater. And, and then there was, a, there was another time when uh, they came to Jesus and they told him, Well, Jesus, you told us to cast out demons, but we're not, we can't cast out this demon. And Jesus said to them, Well, did you pray? Because this kind only comes out with prayer. And, and some versions say in fasting. So did you pray? Did you fast? Well, no. I thought we could just say the words and the demons would come out. So, I mean, there was a lot they weren't getting. But by the end of the story, they began to get it. By the end of the story, they became fishers of men. Or as Paul would say, they became persuaders of people. Not just these two that we read about. But there, was, you know, there were other disciples that were called. They were all called to do the same thing. Twelve disciples, in addition to them... Well, including, of course, within the 12 disciples, there was a tax collector. Hated tax collector. He became a fisher of men. Then in addition to the 12, there was a prostitute. She became a persuader of people. A fisher of men, reaching them for Jesus. There was a man who had been filled with demons. He became a fisher of men, a persuader of people. There was a woman who had been married five times, and then the the sixth man she was just living with. She became a persuader of people. All of them became fishers of men, persuaders of people. They persuaded many people in their circle of influence. They persuaded them to follow Jesus. To become not just followers of Jesus, but that they also persuaded them also to become persuaders of other. People To the point that you and I are here today and we're following Jesus. Because someone persuaded you or maybe it was your parents. In my case, it was my my parents. Somebody persuaded them to follow Jesus. And somebody had persuaded the people who persuaded my parents to follow Jesus. And it goes on back to these men whom Jesus talked to and said, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you persuaders of people. So here's what we learn. There is a correlation between following Jesus and persuading people to follow Jesus. There is a correlation between following Jesus and persuading people to follow Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, we find that there was this correlation. When people began to follow Jesus, they became fishers of men. When people began to follow Jesus because somebody persuaded them to follow Jesus, or something persuaded them to follow Jesus, then they became persuaders of other people to follow Jesus. Because when Jesus called you to follow Him, He didn't just call you to make you a better person. That's not the only reason He called you. Follow me now, make you a better person. He didn't just call you to enrich your life. But He called you to follow Him and to do in the life of others what somebody else did for you at one time. And that is to persuade you to follow Jesus. He called you to become a persuader of people. So what Jesus did for the disciples, what He called the disciples to do, He calls us to do. The agenda of Jesus for His disciples is His agenda for us today. What Jesus told His disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. He's telling us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. He told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. He's telling us today, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. He told Timothy, Timothy was a pastor. He was a young man who was a pastor. And Paul told Timothy, you may be a pastor, but I want you to do the work of an evangelist. And God tells us today... You may not be a preacher, you may not be a pastor, you may, maybe, you, maybe you work for the city, maybe you work you know, here, you work over there, you're a teacher, you're, whatever you do, do the work of an evangelist. Wherever you are, do the work of an evangelist. Now, I might have preferred that Jesus would make me richer or healthier or a better husband, certainly. I needed that. I still do. Maybe I would have preferred that he would make me a better father, or, uh, or better looking. <laughs> I would have loved that. But he says, no, follow me and I will make you a persuader of people. Because there is a correlation between following Jesus and becoming a persuader of people. Secondly, we learn then uh, that persuaders are made. Persuaders are made, not born. We weren't born Persuaders. We didn't become Christians so we could become persuaders. I, I don't think we did. Most of us became Christians for selfish motives. Maybe we became Christians because we didn't want to go to hell. Somebody said, you know, if you, if you don't follow Christ, when you die, you're going to go, you know, to that place. And we don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to follow Jesus. And maybe we became Christians because we were in a broken marriage and we needed help for our marriage. And certainly God offers that and... And so we prayed, and, and God helped us. And so we said, I'm going to follow Jesus. He helped me in my marriage. Or maybe uh, we became followers of Jesus because we had a serious health issue. Maybe even a terminal disease, and I need God to heal me. And maybe He did, or maybe He just uh, gave us strength to face what we're going through. And we felt that supernatural strength, and we said, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. We basically needed God to fix something in our lives. And it was for a selfish reason, and I don't mean that in a negative sense necessarily, although it, it can turn to that, because for the most part, we learn to pray, God, give me this, give me that, bless me this way, give me a better job, give me a, a better marriage. Some people would say, give me another marriage, not the right prayer. Give me a boyfriend, Lord, get rid of this boyfriend. You know, but it's always, help me, help me, help me, give me, give me, give me. Now, we know that God answers these prayers because God is good and God is faithful. And I mean, there, there are great benefits to being a follower of Jesus. But what I'm saying is this, we started following Jesus because of what he would do for us, not because of, he would, of what he would make us. We started following Jesus because of what he would do for us, not because of he would make us. We were really interested in in what he would make us. And certainly we're not interested, we weren't interested that he would make us fishers of men or persuaders of people. And I think the same thing happened to these men, to the disciples, because to kind of give a little more context to what we read earlier, right before Jesus walked by and called them and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The account in Luke, Matthew doesn't tell us this, this, but Luke does put these together to get a a true picture of what happened. Right before he called them, the disciples had been fishing all night. They were experienced uh, fishermen. And so then you went to fish and you had to fish. And so they had been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything, nothing. So the next morning, Jesus walks by. And he tells them to cast out their nets. And Peter said to him, uh, Lord, you know, we've been fishing all night. I haven't caught anything. But if you say so at your word, we'll go ahead and cast out the nets. So they cast out their nets and they caught so many fish that they, they, couldn't, they couldn't get them all in their boat. And in fact, they had to call a neighboring boat to come and to take some of the fish. It was so much fish, so many fish. It was a miracle. It's a miracle. And so then right then, Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, what else are they going to do? He just worked a great miracle for them. That was their livelihood. That's what they did to make a living and, and, and great success at, at their vocation, at their job. What else? When Jesus says, follow me, they're like, yeah, I'm going to follow you. You just gave me what I needed. You gave me this great big catch. So they followed Jesus because of what they saw. Because of what they experienced. Not necessarily because they wanted to be fishers of men. Like I said, I don't think they really understood what that meant. But here's here's the point. Jesus accepted that as a start. Jesus didn't say, no, no, you can't follow me until you really understand what I'm calling you to. No, Jesus said, okay, I I know you don't get it. And it was obvious they didn't get it because of what I, I said earlier. How they messed up so many times on the way of... You know, on the way to growing and becoming what Jesus was going to make them. But Jesus accepted that. And Jesus accepts your premise for following Him as a start. Whatever your premise is, He accepts it. If you came to Him because you were going through a, a trial, a painful situation, and you, you called on Him and you felt strength from Him, or you needed a miracle and God intervened and gave you that miracle, whatever premise cause you to to come, whatever your premise for following him is, he accepts that as a start. But he also wants to take your life, all the mundane details of your everyday living, the things you you go through every day, the, the things you face, the relationships you have. He wants to take those things and use those things, to grow you, to make you to become a fisher of men or a persuader of people, to position you and to prepare you to, to reach others for Him. God will take those things, uh, the questions that you have, the, the, the doubts that you have, the decisions that you make, where, where should I live, where should I work, should I marry this person, God help me, guide me, show me, protect me all, you know, heal me, all the things you ask of God, God will take all those things and shape them in such a way that you are uniquely positioned because of your life experiences and because of what you're learning from Scripture, how you're growing, to position you to be a perfect persuader of people in someone else's life. You're positioned to reach somebody that maybe I can't reach. They'll listen to you. They may not listen to me, but they'll listen to you. He'll use your job, He'll use your marriage, He'll use the fact that, you, that you're sick, He'll use the fact that you get depressed, whatever it is. The fact that maybe you know, there are people who can't have children, God will use that some way, somehow. The fact that uh, somebody suffered through a divorce they didn't want, God will use that some way, somehow. Everything that consumes your thinking, God will use those things to allow you entrance into somebody's life so that you can persuade them to follow Jesus. Now here's the next thing. Becoming a persuader is a process, not just a method. It's a process, not just a method. And this process is called life. This process is called life. That's a process that Jesus uses. Now there are methods that can teach us to persuade. I know that in the, in the schools... There are methods that are used by school teachers to teach students how to persuade others. All Texas high school students have to learn to write a persuasive essay. All all Texas high school students have to learn how to write different types of essays, and one of them is a persuasive essay. They have to learn how to uh, write the introduction, where they state their premise, and then they have to Make their first point to persuade, you know, whatever they're trying to persuade the reader. Make their first point and then give an example, you know, give a personal example. Make the second point, give two examples, and then write, you know, write the conclusion. Those are all techniques. They're taught, they're taught these techniques that they have to follow. They, they're following the model on how to write a persuasive essay. And and as, as Christians, there are things we can learn to... Um, to persuade people, to explain to people the gospel. Like if somebody were to ask you right now, what is the gospel? What would you say? How would you articulate it? There are things that we can do to learn those things. Uh, there are methods. But when it comes to, uh, to persuading uh, people to becoming a persuader, God starts with the process that is our life. It's not just limited to uh, a method. Uh, God will use, as I said, your life experiences, your education, your passions. We all have different passions, don't we? Some of you are very passionate about fishing. Some of you are very passionate about, you know, whatever your hobby might be. I'm passionate about running, and some of you are like, why? I I saw a, a meme, and I've seen this before. People share this with me thinking I've never seen it and I go, yeah, okay, thanks for sharing that. You know, the, uh, uh, there was a meme about a Bible verse that says the wicked run when nobody chases them. Like, See, that's why I don't run. And they share it with me. I'm like, thank you. I hadn't seen that one before. And I don't say that, but I, I do think it. Yeah. But uh, we're all passionate about something. God uses your passions, your, your life experiences, your education, your lack of education, your passion, your life the problems you go through, the places you live, to make you into a persuader. Because there is someone who will listen to you who may not listen to me because of what you've gone through. There is someone who will listen to you who will not listen to the person on your left or your right. they listen to you. You have some kind of influence because you know, you've built some capital some way, somehow. So it's not just the message. Certainly we have a great message, the gospel. But it's a messenger and the message combined with a unique life experiences. Now, if we don't think in those terms, then we miss the opportunity to persuade people, to use the power of God that He's giving us to persuade people. If we don't realize, God is making me into a persuader of people. He's putting me in the exact spot where I can persuade people to follow Jesus. If you, if you don't get that, if you don't get what I'm saying now, you'll spend your entire life just trying to be good just trying to be better, just trying to be more disciplined, just trying to to be healthier, just trying to whatever your goals might be, and you'll miss the main thing, what God calls us to do. So I want to tell you today, make yourself available to God so that He can make you a persuader of people. Make yourself available to God so He can make you a persuader of people. And the only way to do that is to live our lives praying every day. Father, here is my life. Here are my successes. Here are my failures, my victories, my defeats. If you can use my life to persuade someone to follow you, I make myself available to you. I give myself to you for that reason. I'll be a persuader. Maybe I won't be a persuader of the masses. Maybe I'll never speak in front of hundreds or thousands of people, but I'll be a persuader of the one person on my street that you've entrusted me with or the one person that I work with or maybe somebody in my own family that needs to be persuaded to follow Jesus. And so I'll, I'll be in the lookout, God. I'll be looking for those opportunities to invite someone, to bring them to church so they can be persuaded to, to follow you or to just persuade them directly. If you can use any, any part of my life, God, I make myself available to you. Well, as most of you know, Evangelist Billy Graham passed away last week at the age of 99. I was uh, actually pleasantly surprised at how well most of the media reported his impact as, as someone who spent a lifetime preaching the gospel. In fact, the day he died... CNN had a report on their website that said the following. This caught my attention. This report, it said, Billy Graham is reported to have persuaded more than 3 million people to commit their lives to Christianity, to Christ. And his preaching was heard in 185 of the world's 900, I'm sorry, world's, 195 countries, according to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's reported to have persuaded more than 3 million people. I want us to watch this short video. And we're going to listen to him persuading people, persuading people to turn to Christ. Let's watch this.
1: I've seen men spend their lifetime making money and I know some of the richest men in America and I know how miserable some of them are. I've seen men strive all their lives to attain political power. And they get political power, they get the office they were seeking, but it doesn't bring the peace and the joy and the happiness and the fulfillment they thought it would. But here's an interesting thing. I've never seen a person give their lives to Jesus Christ sincerely, but what they didn't find what they were looking for. He satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts and our lives. I wonder how many more sermons it would take to win you to Christ. How many more warnings will God have to give you? How many more graves will have to be dug? How many more wars will have to be fought? How many more earthquakes or tornadoes and floods will have to come before you make your decision? You and you alone in the quiet arena of your heart will have to make that decision. Can you hear
0: the urgency as he persuades people? And I think about in the passage we're going to be studying the next three weeks. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we work hard at persuading people. Then a little further down in the passage, he says, we plead with people, be reconciled with God. We plead with them. That's what Billy Graham did. He is reported to have persuaded. half persuaded. That's what followers of Jesus do. Now you might say, and I, and I can hear it now, but Pastor Billy Graham was called to be an evangelist. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I agree. He definitely had a calling to be an evangelist. But remember what I said earlier. 2 Timothy 4.5. Paul tells Timothy, you may be a pastor, but do the work of an evangelist. So we're all called to be persuaders. And today I want to challenge you to respond to this call by saying to God, here's my life. I give myself to you so that you can use me. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to persuade. I don't know who I'm going to persuade. I don't know any of that. But I'm going to start by giving my life away to be used.